Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. location this is the bruce exclusive and here's your host bruce nolan ladies and gentlemen boys and girls children of all ages welcome to another edition of the bruce exclusive buffalo rumblings podcast i'm your host bruce nolan you can find me on twitter and instagram at bruce exclusive welcome back Welcome back. I'm glad that you're here, considering what has happened since the last time we have spoken. The Bills fell to the Tennessee Titans this past Tuesday evening. And it wasn't a great loss. There are no great losses, but it didn't feel particularly good. It didn't feel like it was a a tight game that the ball simply didn't bounce our way. There were things that kind of came off the rails a little bit for the Buffalo Bills on their way to four and one. And there's a lot of things to talk about. And I think one of the issues with losses like this is that it ends up being sort of a shotgun narrative for people where they're grasping at anything. They're grasping at particular narratives, particular scapegoats to say, this is the issue. If this player or this coach would have done something different when they were on the field or when they were coaching, the game would have been different. And then we get all emotional and we say, cut him or fire him. And that's the way we handle it because we need a quick fix. We need a easy solution. We need a free agent out there or a trade target or a backup who will come in and fix what's going on. They will right the wrongs that they saw or they think they saw the last time they watched their favorite team. So what we're going to do today, the way we always do it, is we are going to reflect on some of the narratives that have come out of the game. It is much later on Wednesday evening than it usually is when I record this pod because I had to come home and watch through all these players that were the hot topics of the day immediately following the game on the All-22, which thankfully was available. I was worried I was going to have to do all of this from the broadcast view, and that was going to be problematic at best. But I was able to do that so I could come prepared to talk about some of the popular narratives coming out of the game against the Titans. And without further ado... Let's go over them. 
So quick note, we are going to do the almighty takes tomorrow, but not for the Chiefs game because I don't have enough of them to make an entire podcast out of it. So what we're going to do is we're going to do our almighty takes from the Titans game tomorrow and we're going to have some fun with it. It'll be it'll be great because of course, obviously we were we were flying high and we're going to try and see if we maybe we can poke fun at ourselves a little bit for that. We'll see how it works. So the first thing I want to talk about is sample size. Sample size is an important part of any evaluation process. The scientific method has built into it a subset of sample size. So the scientific method is hypothesis, construct experiment that will test hypothesis, complete experiment, evaluate results, adjust hypothesis. That is the scientific method. That is the method by which you are capable of solving problems. Well, what you don't realize is that there is a hidden part of the third step in the scientific process that means that you can't just evaluate the results over the course of a split second. You have to evaluate them over what's called statistically significant data or sample size. And I think it's really important that we think about things when we lose and not knee-jerk our way into issues because how worried you should be about something is the probability of that thing happening multiplied by the impact of that thing happening. Worry is actually a mathematical construct. I know what you're thinking, Bruce. Everything's a mathematical construct to you. I know that, but it helps me make sense of the world. And so I share things like that with you. Worry can be broken down into an equation. The likelihood of something happening multiplied by the impact of that thing happening. Now, the first part of that is likelihood. Well, how do you determine likelihood? You have to determine likelihood of things in the future happening based on statistically significant sample sizes in the past of that happening. So as such, if you have a quarterback who comes in and throws an interception on his first throw, that really doesn't tell you much about whether or not he's going to throw it on his second through 50th throw. If you have a quarterback and he comes in and plays a terrible first game or a terrible second game, we always say, well, you know, you got to give them time. You have to evaluate. We know this intrinsically about quarterbacks, but for some reason, when it comes to other positions on the football field, when it comes to coaches, when it comes to front offices, when it comes to anything else about our favorite team, we don't care about sample size anymore. He made a bad play, cut him. I'll never forget people wanting to cut Leotis McKelvin after he returned that kickoff against the New England Patriots that fateful day and fumbled. Just cut him, they said. We're going to ignore everything he's done before or since. We're going to cut him because we want to make an example of him, I suppose. But sample size is an important part of any personnel Coaching, football, bigger than football, everything. Sample size is important. It is a part of the scientific process and it must be respected. In addition, this weird thing happens after a loss where we start looking for scapegoats. And so 
we're not willing to pay attention to sample size because we want our scapegoat. And what scapegoating really is, is Occam's razor gone horribly wrong. For those of you who are not familiar with the term Occam's razor, Occam's razor is a philosophical concept indicating that when you are presented with a group of potential outcomes to a problem, the simplest solution has the highest likelihood of being the case. That's what Occam's razor says. You sometimes hear it called the KISS function. Keep it simple, stupid. This is based on Occam's razor. And what Occam's razor is when it's perverted to a terrible degree is it becomes scapegoating. Well, I saw a bad play. I don't like the bad play. Therefore, cut the player or bench the player who had the bad play. But it's not quite that simple because someone has to play that position. And if you want to bench a player, that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. When you say, I want to bench a player, what you're saying is the coaches who have seen this player and his backup and his backup's backup have gotten it wrong this whole time. Up until this moment, they've been wrong. I'm not saying that's not possible. It absolutely is possible. You have heard me talk about players on this podcast in the past that I think should be playing more. I said before that I think Quentin Spain is a better guard than Brian Winters. Now, at this point, it wasn't relevant this game because Quentin Spain had foot soreness. But we shouldn't take those things lightly. We shouldn't just haphazardly throw them out there because it's a fairly serious thing to cut a significant contributor or to bench a significant contributor. In addition, you have to add in the fact that your defense and your offense are experiments in and of themselves. And there are multiple variables at all times. And if something is going wrong and you make too many adjustments simultaneously, it'll be more difficult to evaluate which one of those adjustments is or is not having a positive or negative effect on the overall product. The last thing philosophically I want to talk about when it comes to the way that we handle losses is that there are certain things that people simply don't want to hear after a loss, which is this player played poorly on this snap or this player played poorly in this game. Because that by itself, without a additional caveat that they should be benched or they should be cut, means that you're stuck with a player who played badly. First off, all players have bad games. That will always happen. It has happened to Josh Allen. It has happened to Dravius White. It has happened to players who were all pro and pro bowl at their position. Players sometimes have bad games. But this idea that you are stuck with a player who you don't like because you want him benched or you want him cut is frustrating. It's frustrating to hear. And I understand that. But we have a lot of new listeners to this podcast this year. I've been very, very blessed to be accepted into Bill's Mafia the way I have and to pick up the podcast listeners that I've been able to pick up. And I'm thankful that you decide to voluntarily, well, I'm assuming it's voluntarily anyway, you voluntarily take time out of your day to listen to this podcast. And it means a lot to me. 
but we have a lot of new people. And so I want to kind of talk about philosophically how I process losses. And that is, this is not going to be an overly emotional podcast where we're going to rant and rave about people being fired. If that's what you would like, then perhaps I'm not your cup of tea and that's okay. I wish you the best. I'm not for everybody. That's okay. I thought it was important to get some of that out of the way before we get into the nitty gritty. But let's talk about some big game theory things and narratives that have come out of the game and some things that have stuck out to me. First off, the running on neutral game script on first and 10 early in the game and then second and long, I did not like. First off, running on second and long is one of my least favorite things in football. I understand the mindset that leads you there. We wanted to get it into a third and manageable, but you are more probable to get into a third and manageable on a passing play than on a running play, especially if the running play that you just ran on first and 10 got stuffed for little yardage. I'm disappointed that the Bills weren't able to have more success running the ball against what was the 31st ranked running defense in the league without Jeffrey Simmons. That's disappointing to me. But when it wasn't working, we kept doing it. So I am not a believer in the idea that you can wear down a defense by getting zero yard gains. You're just putting yourself farther behind the sticks. In the first four games of this year, one of the things that the Bills were being praised for is their aggressiveness on early downs and specifically throwing the ball in neutral game scripts. What I mean by neutral game script is reasonable win probability, right? You're not behind by a lot or ahead by a lot, and it's still early enough in the game for that to matter. That's what I mean when I say neutral game scripts. So if you are not forced into running the ball to drain clock or pass, 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 because you're way far behind, if neither of those two things are working heavily toward modifying your play calling, what are you then doing on early downs? And the Bills were successful the first four games of the year being aggressive and throwing on first and 10, on second and 10 if necessary, in those game situations. They changed it. And I understand why they changed it. They changed it because they thought they had an advantage against a Titans team who was not great against the run without Jeffrey Simmons. So early on, I understand that. But when it's clearly not working, just go back to the thing that you've been successful doing, which is throwing early. Was not a fan of that. That is a mark against Brian Dable, in my opinion. Another big picture item. Tredavious White and Matt Milano were both gone. I understand that. They are the two best players on our defense. I said it last year. I see no reason why it wouldn't be true this year. Tredavious White and Matt Milano are the two best players on our defense. And they weren't there. That does have a significant impact. And so everything we say about this game should be said through that lens. Specifically, how their absence trickles down. So Tredavious White isn't there which means Cam Lewis 
then plays outside snaps. Matt Milano being out means we see more A.J. Klein. We see more Tyrell Dodson. This stuff trickles through the team. So you have to understand that certain aspects of this game were modified by those losses. That's not an excuse. It's just the way it is. So Josh Allen had a step-back game. I previously talked on buffalorumblings.com, wrote an article that there was a step-back game coming for Josh Allen. And I'll level with you. If this is a step-back game, I'm fine with that. I'm completely fine with this being a step-back game. If this is the floor for Josh Allen, that's pretty good. And when I say step-back game, I don't mean bad game. Please don't misinterpret my words. I pick the words I say specifically because they mean a specific thing and only that thing. A step-back game simply means a game that is below the previously recorded mean. And if the mean for 2020 is MVP level, then a step-back game is anything beneath an MVP level. Something that lowers the mean rather than raises the mean. A step-forward game would be something that raises the mean. So, this absolutely classifies as a step-back game. Josh Allen was late on some throws. He threw behind Andre Roberts, which contributed to the interception. He threw behind Gabriel Davis on an in-cutting pattern later on where Gabriel Davis was open, had to reach back for the ball, wasn't able to get it. The interception he threw to Malcolm Butler was simply a scenario where he got tricked. Malcolm Butler was looking at him. Josh Allen thought he was a zone defender, thought he was going to crash down and take away the out route. And instead, he dropped back. That was a honey hole throw that he was attempting to make in between zone coverage defenders. But the zone coverage defender didn't crash down. He dropped back. Josh Allen lost that battle. And that's okay. That happens sometimes. It was a mistake. It contributed to his step back game. But that's not bad, Josh, ladies and gentlemen. I know what bad Josh looks like. Bad Josh looks like Green Bay from 2018. That's bad Josh to me. Bad Josh looks like New England from 2019. If this is bad Josh 2.0, the Bills are probably going to be fine. I'm encouraged that the step back game wasn't worse than that. Was it a step back game? Sure. Yeah, it was. But if I'm running through and assigning blame on percentages... For this loss, Josh Allen gets very, very, very little. So what do you do when the front four isn't getting pressure on defense? Sean McDermott said that his front four wasn't getting the pressure that he wanted. I mentioned in last week's podcast that one of the things that changed for the Bills in the second half of the Raiders game was that they were able to get pressure with four. The Bills don't have success on defense when they don't get pressure with their front four. I would make an argument that in the event they're not getting pressure with the front four, they should not respond by blitzing because that's not been going well for them thus far. I would make an argument that they should actually drop eight and rush three. It gave Patrick Mahomes trouble. It gave Josh Allen a little trouble. 
One of the old adages for defensive coordinators is that you blitz bad quarterbacks and you play coverage against good quarterbacks. Now in the NFL, with the increase in efficiency from offenses and offensive coordinators, a lot of mediocre quarterbacks can be good quarterbacks. Offensive coordinators are helping them more than they ever have. Motion, play action, package plays, RPOs. They're making the job easier for the quarterbacks than they have historically made it. And as such, I would make an argument that in the event that you're having trouble getting there with four, the solution should not to be bringing six, especially when you have a secondary who cannot hold up on the back end on the outsides with Josh Norman, Taron Johnson, and Cam Lewis. I would take the opposite approach. I just rush three on obvious passing downs, drop eight into coverage, force someone to hold the ball. It's just something I wanted to bring to y'all's attention and something I wanted to keep an eye on moving forward because the blitzing against the Raiders last week was problematic and the blitzing this week against the Titans was problematic. So if you can't get there with four, the natural progression is what do I do next? And I would make an argument that with this team's particular issues and with the length that you invested in with Tremaine Edmonds, that you should be more inclined to rush three and drop eight on passing downs when your front four isn't getting the job done as opposed to bringing five and six. So let's talk about Tremaine Edmonds. It's been a hot topic on social media since the game. Some people talking about moving him to outside linebacker. Here's what I will say on Tremaine Edmonds. I have said before that I think Matt Milano is a superior player. I've said before that Tremaine Edmonds is struggling. But there is a very, very reasonable explanation for some of his struggles. And that is he has a really serious shoulder injury. That's a real thing. I don't know if you've ever had a serious shoulder injury, but just running is tough enough, much less squaring up to tackle. If we had a reasonable middle linebacker who could fill in for him, I would suggest maybe putting him on the shelf for a couple weeks, see if it heals up. But without us knowing the exact nature of the shoulder injury, we don't know if this is something he's just going to have to fight through for the entire year. And if that's the case, we might have not had an opportunity to see the growth that was hopefully going to happen this year because it's stunted. Now, Bruce, come on, the shoulder can't be responsible for everything. No, the shoulder's not responsible for everything. I have said before, that I wasn't as high on Tremaine Edmonds coming out as other people were. I was much higher on Roquan Smith because I didn't see the instincts on tape that I wanted. But one of the things that's interesting about instincts is they can be learned. They can be learned by multiple years being in the same defensive system in the same position. So if your issues are his instincts, moving him to another position is not going to solve that. My solution to Tremaine Edmonds is wait to see how and if he develops further after he is no longer hindered by a bad shoulder injury. And I understand that may not be what you want to hear, but I don't think there's a quick fix for that. 
I want to see Tremaine Edmonds realize the promise of being a first round pick and being the absolute physical marvel that he is as much as anybody. And I think the higher probability of seeing that is to leave him where he is. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to get into the rest of the narratives. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive of Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. It's time to talk about Taron Johnson. It's time to talk about Josh Norman. And it's time to talk about Cam Lewis. I watched back every snap that Taron Johnson played against the Tennessee Titans. The third and 19 conversion was an absolute whiff. It was a terrible rep. It was really bad. The crossing route he gave up to A.J. Brown, he got popped by a big extended left hand. He lost his balance. He was unable to recover and get back to A.J. Brown before a big play was made. The other two receptions, he was in good coverage. On the plays he wasn't targeted, which is really important. So I'm going to get on my soapbox here for a second. If you only evaluate corners by how you see them play when they are targeted in coverage, you are missing out. Because cornerbacks can blow a horrible coverage and not get targeted. That's just as bad from a coverage standpoint as a play that they blow and they get burned for touchdown. Either way, they blew the coverage. Either way, the corner was just as bad. Now, the impact of that was different. But if you're trying to isolate the play of the cornerback, you can't just say, well, here are his four targets. Here are the times when he was targeted in coverage. What about the times he wasn't targeted in coverage? Was he good then too? And I'm here to tell you, really wasn't that bad. I don't think Taron Johnson has played well this year. Please don't misunderstand me. I do not think Taron Johnson has played well this year. In addition, listen to my podcast from before the draft this past year and before free agency. I was pounding the table for more cornerbacks. There were many jokes being made on social media that if I had it my way, I would draft a corner in every round. I just had a little bit of Dick Geron in me, I suppose. Can never have enough good corners. Am I willing to be open to the idea 
of Cam Lewis at nickel corner. Yes, I am. But you have to be very, very careful how you roll that out. There were multiple plays against the Titans where Cam Lewis did not understand what his assignment was. Either pre-snap, where he was getting help, or post-snap. One particular egregious snap, he actually ran into Taron Johnson in coverage because Taron Johnson knew what he was doing, and Cam Lewis did not. The coverage was clearly supposed to be man. Cam Lewis came off his guy, started transitioning over, and almost ran over Taron Johnson. It's a good thing the quarterback wasn't looking in that direction. Well, that could have been a big play for the offense. So I'm okay entertaining the idea of Cam Lewis at nickel. But you have to ease this thing in. Because there are worse alternatives than having Taron Johnson. This fatalistic, you cannot possibly be worse than Taron Johnson, is just not true. You can be worse than Taron Johnson. I've seen all the snaps. I can imagine a worse player than Taron Johnson in that role. Now, I would very much like to upgrade this offseason. I would very much like to upgrade last offseason. I was pounding the table for Jeremy Chin. I really wanted Christian Fulton in the second round. They decided to take AJ Epinesa instead. So you're never going to hear me say that I wasn't on board, but right now, this is what we have available. This is what we have access to. So, Taron Johnson... Didn't play well overall. Could have played a lot worse. Cam Lewis. I appreciated the aggressiveness he played the run. And I think that if you are going to replace Taron Johnson in the slot, that's the one thing you would want to see from Cam Lewis. Because Taron Johnson does play the run aggressively. And the run defense was good against the Titans. The run defense against running backs has now been good for two weeks in a row. It was good against Josh Jacobs. And it was good against Derrick Henry. So the run defense part has, I wouldn't say be fixed per se, but it's definitely on the upswing. Definitely on the upswing. Now we have two games of positive sample size. And we have three games of really pretty bad sample size. Specifically the Dolphins game and the Rams game were really bad. But the defensive tackle rotation appears to have been figured out. But the last thing you want to do is take a step back in that area by taking Taron Johnson off the field, who's a good run defender. So you're going to want to see that aggressiveness from Cam Lewis that you saw. So that's positive. I'm willing to entertain that. I think there's a possibility there might be something there. But you can't just haphazardly throw him in there when he was clearly over his head the last time he was out on short rest against the Super Bowl champions and Patrick freaking Mahomes. Let's think. If I still had sound bites in this podcast, I would have put Aretha Franklin in there with you better think. My player of the game this week was Cole Beasley. I was disappointed we didn't target him more in the absence of John Brown in the first half. In the second half, we did. But he was open. He converted. I believe the Bills teammates who say that Cole Beasley cannot be covered in man coverage. I believe that. And the offense is putting him in position to be successful. Josh Allen targeting Stephon Diggs is a good thing. But don't get so locked into him that you forget you have another good player who's not named John Brown. 
if I were to rank how concerned I am about all these players from least concern to most concern, the one right below Josh Allen, as far as least concern, would be Andre Roberts. Andre Roberts had a bad game. Can you recall another terrible game that Andre Roberts has had as a Buffalo Bill? My initial point about sample size comes into play more so with this than anything else. Andre Roberts is a good return man. Andre Roberts is not a full-time wide receiver. He is mostly responsible for the first interception for Josh Allen. Could the throw have been better and not on his back shoulder where it was kind of twisting to make a catch? Yes, it absolutely could have been there. But you still need to catch that, Andre Roberts. You're playing at wide receiver with the expectation that you're going to catch that. And he didn't. Then he fumbled on a kickoff return. He was unable to break the tackle of a lone punt gunner and got stuck in bad field position. Three pretty bad plays for Andre Roberts. Now, part of that is Brett Kern is a really good punter and he was able to pin the team back. And that was bad. But the idea that we're going to cut Andre Roberts after one game, I'm going to post you the exact same thing that I posed to you when we thought about whether or not we should cut him coming in this year. Okay, great. Who's going to do it? You have to be able to provide me a reasonable argument on who's going to do it and be better than Andre Roberts. Not better than him that game because he was bad that game. Isaiah McKenzie's had more than a few of those games where he botched a couple returns and he fumbled things. But we don't just throw the baby out with the bathwater. So, for those of you who don't know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater is a term from medieval times where when you poured water and you warmed it up to bathe in your tub, you would start from the head of household, which was typically the father. And the father would bathe first and then it would go all the way down. And then at the end, you would bathe the baby. So the phrase, throw the baby out with the bathwater, is the idea that when you're done taking the bath and you throw out the bath water, you don't want to make sure you leave the baby in it and throw it out. I don't know why that has come to mean what it means in our society, because it doesn't seem to make sense, but just a little uh, fun history there for y'all. I had other things I wanted to get to today, but we are running out of time on this podcast, so... I will bid you adieu. I will see you tomorrow. And until then, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumbles. Buffalo Rumbles.